Hey, welcome to Delta Frame by Planner Revise, everybody. It's Mark here, and we're powered by TPC, where we're not just a fandom, we're a family. I wanted to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, just a disclaimer, we get a little loud about what we love around here, but it's for the overall good. Hey, and before we get this episode started, another long-form interview for you today. Please, please, if you have any feedback, suggestions of what we should do or who we should interview or any hot takes you have for us, text us at 380-390-8629. That's 380-390-8629. Text us your name, what you do for a living, any sort of hot take or feedback you guys want. We'd love to hear from you. Also, email us at admin, that's A-D-M-I-N, at planetrevise.com. Enjoy the episode. In a career that began when he won the lead role in his eighth grade school musical, critically acclaimed indie actor Timothy J. Cox has shown no signs of slowing down. The veteran character actor has played over 200 roles in stage and film productions, in roles large and small, classical and contemporary alike. Richard Probst of The Independent Critic had this to say about the actor, if you know indie actor Timothy J. Cox, then you already know he's a serious one. He's comfortable playing a wide range of characters, and he's not beyond going way out of his comfort zone when the script calls for it. Alrighty, we should be recording. And how's your day been so far, Tim? Good! You know, like, uh, I mean, Sundays, I mean, like, uh, you know, it was nasty here. I'm in Bellbrook, which is close to Dayton, Ohio, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's that time of year where... Uh, you know, either you go outside or you, you know you stay in your in your PJs. We went out, my wife and son and I. We went out a little bit this morning to get breakfast, and then the rest of the day inside, put up the Christmas tree, uh, and uh, watch some Christmas movies. And uh, we're ready for that time of year. Yeah, I love that. Um, they recently celebrated birthdays, didn't they? Yeah, uh, November is birthday month in the Cox household. My birthday was on November second. My son, Spencer, uh, his birthday was on the 17th, and my wife just celebrated on the 21st. So big month for us yeah. Uh, here. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes it easier, too, like super easy. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that you could possibly forget birthdays, yeah, <laughs> when they're all in the, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, the same month. Yeah, but uh, it, it's nice. It worked out originally. My, my son originally, I think he was, originally due december uh 3rd or 4th and like you know he he came early so uh but uh it, it's nice that we all are able to share and celebrate that that month together yeah i've never heard of anything like that that's definitely unique yeah good man um so i wanted to dive straight in um and have you give a brief synopsis of who you are to the people who may not know you and uh talk about how you began yeah. acting well, like, you know, me, like how I, uh, well, one, my name is Timothy J. Cox, but Tim to my friends. And um, I am a a stage and, and film actor, and I've been doing it for, oh God, over more than half my life. And, uh, you know, I've done a little bit of everything. Like, uh, I started out uh, working in the theater, uh, you know, working when I, where I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and in Pennsylvania. and. Uh, Went to college here in Ohio, so did some uh, theater at Marietta College. And then I was in New York for almost 20 years and did theater and films there. But when I graduated from college, my, my aspiration was that I wanted to be a good supporting actor in the theater. And it's a good goal. Yeah. 
and like you know, and I was always a fan of the movies. Didn't think about movies. Um, I, I I'm sure that that had a lot to do with uh, confidence. I mean, you know, when you're growing up in your 20s and being an actor, you know, those are it's a time when you know, you're you're battling that old thing of self confidence, and you know, not only are you good enough, but like you know, the way you look, and you know, I mean, I, I went through a period in my 20s where you know, I thought about changing my name. I didn't like my name and I didn't, you know, all of these kinds of things. And then something extraordinary happens is that like, you know, the more you work, your self-confidence grows and you begin to, you really kind of um, become happy with who you are because you, you know, you bring your own uniqueness to uh, every kind of role. And that trickled over into life as well. So uh, I think, you know, I, I always say the work that, that everything that this work is about being in this business, it's really kind of saved my life and set my life free. So, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I got, I mean, again, get, getting started in the theater, you know, I, I was in eighth grade and as an excuse to get out of math class, I don't know any school that does this. But I actually had an uh, I auditioned for the school play during the school day and it was during math class and I would have done anything to get out of math class. So I went to the audition with no desire or aspiration to be an actor and went in uh, auditioned and I got cast in the uh, the lead role. It was a it was a musical version of the O. Henry story, uh, The Gift of the Magi, called Rags to Riches. And uh, and yeah, like the first time I heard that laughter, that that live reaction from an audience, uh, it was uh, it was extraordinary. And it still is. I mean, it's still it, it's still ele that electric feeling like because it's 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 opening night every night. Like it's a different audience. It's different show it's you know people are going to react differently especially if you're doing a comedy or something like that like people laugh right. at different kinds of things but uh and then that and i i you know i worked in high school and uh and in college and uh you know i would say i moved to new york in february of 2001 and i would say mostly for the first i would say almost nine ten years that i was there in new york i did uh, almost exclusively theater with an occasional film uh, like you know because of course in New York you know you have so many wonderful opportunities if you do want to do film you right. know there are student films that you could work with at NYU or New York Film Academy School of Visual Arts Hunter College um, but I wasn't really I was kind of antsy like you know on a film set because you know the sitting around and the waiting and all of that. It took me a long time to realize that movies are not just made with actors. Movies are made with so many, you know, you have editors and costume designers and art directors and writers and all of that. And, you know, looking back on those early years, I was like, oh, God, that must have been a pain in the ass to work with. What, not that I was ever like, you know, difficult. I kind of kept it, you know, inside, but like, my feeling in those days was like, ah, you know, forget about all that stuff. Let's get to the acting. But really, um, you know, learning about lighting and sound and, you know, how hard, like timing of, of all of that and how all of those things 
come together to make a movie. Um, and when I got that appreciation and the respect for everybody on a film set, uh, I, in around 2010, I almost exclusively started doing film. And um, that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since, like the occasional uh, play here and there, which I, I miss doing the theater. I did a play about two years ago and mm -hmm. uh, it was great to be back on a stage, but film is uh, my, my respect and admiration for the process and, and all of the things that everybody who makes any kind of creative contribution to a, a film or a web series or a commercial or anything. It's, um, you know, my, it's amazing just like what, how hard it is to bring all of that to life. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially on the acting side, you guys, for lack of a better term, just get to see everything that goes on behind the scenes, but everybody who's watching the film only sees you. So it's like, you guys have to kind of bring together everything that goes on behind the scenes that cultivates exactly what you're doing. It's super rough, right? Not an easy thing yeah. to accomplish. But you know what? Like I, I love, like, I just worked on a film last weekend. Um, with some students here at, at Wright University at, at Wright State. And um, again, like you just, you watch like how, you know, if if the lighting is not right, then you got to move the camera like a little bit this way, or, you know, I mean, just all of those kinds of things. It's, it's very scientific um, yeah. because, well, one, it, it, it's interesting watching, you know, people, work as a team on, on a film set like that. That's really extraordinary. And then like, because they, they want everything because film is forever. Once it's on camera, it's forever. And so, you know, you want it to be, you want it to look good. You want, you know, we've all watched movies where we notice little things like, uh, oh, or like there's the old Game of Thrones thing where they would notice the Starbucks cup on uh, uh, during the episode. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it really is, uh, it's a science, like, you know, making um, a film and uh, a lot of people uh, uh, come together. And it's, uh, it's that wonderful word, word I learned working in the theater, ensemble. It really is an ensemble, not only just actors, but the writer and the director and the producers and all of the members of the crew, everybody coming together with one common goal, just to tell this particular story, whatever it may be, to tell it in the best possible way through, you know, visuals and just good storytelling. And that's, that's why I still do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on how to kind of still skill stack as an actor, you know? Yeah. Obviously you have the different types of uh, methods of acting, but there's a lot of groundwork and uh, kind of laying and planning of seeds that you got to do before you see things flourish. Can you touch on like the amount of networking it takes to sustain a, a career as an actor, the amount of skill you actually have to do training? Well, training, uh, I mean, definitely for anyone starting out, like, you know, study, Read, read every book, read every play that you can get your hands on, watch every movie, go to museums, listen to all types of music, uh, even, you know, music that, you know, you may not necessarily like, but it like, um, you have to explore the world. 
you have to live. I think to be a good actor or a good artist is that you really have to have a handle on the world. Um, you know, you have to go out there and live, travel, see the world, um, read the newspaper, have opinions on things that are going on in the world. Um, you know, research, do your homework. All of those kinds of things, you will see a casting that comes along and say, hey, that there's a character, you know, if, you, if you're going to play an artist, and if you've done some, if you've gone to, I, you know, the uh, there's a, a Monet exhibit, I believe, here in Dayton, and, you know, there's something from that that, like, well, that you could take in with you, like, that's the homework. Every day, you're you're doing homework. Your 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 head is like a computer. You're just compiling information, and then right. you always put it in the treasure chest. And it's like, I'm going to use that someday. Um, and with as far as training, like you know, I would say take classes. As far as the the methods of acting, when I was in at school at Marietta College, there was really not. I had a wonderful teacher named Steve Rader. There was really not one method that he subscribed to. You know, he showed us Meisner, the Miser technique, uh, you know, Stella Adler, all of those kinds of things. He, I, he always said, I wanna show you the world because you have to find the method, technique, process, whatever you wanna call it, that works best for you. But mm -hmm. a director I worked with, uh, you know, he, he said something really interesting to me. He said about actors' processes. He said, as as the director, I don't care what your method is. All I want is that, you know, and I'll, I think all any director wants is that when you're here, when you're on set, you hit your marks, you say your lines, you know, and you get from point A to point B and you know, I will help, you know, a director, a good director will help you along the way. Right. Um, but you have to come in. He says, I love actors that come in and I can see that they've done some work already on the character. Like there are, you know, I've been on set with actors that they come to set and they don't even memorize. They don't have their lines memorized, which it's like they, they learn, they do it. Uh, they learn it as we, if we rehearse, if you do rehearse, right. whereas film, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't have the luxury of rehearsal or they'll get it in the moment. Some actors can do that. Uh, um, I don't think Robert Duval likes to rehearse or, you know, he, you know, but, and of course he's been doing this for what, 60 years. So uh, me, I like to be, I like to be prepared because for me, the more prepared I am, the more open and available I am. Whereas if, if right. you and I are doing a scene and we're doing a little bit of the scripted dialogue and something happens in the scene where like, you know, what Peter Sellers used to call happy accidents and you are, or one of us goes up on a line or, or something happens, like something falls over. Like if we're, if you and I are doing a scene and we're sitting at a table and something falls over. Well, we have to react to that because that's life. If if something within that, you know, if you're prepared in the scene, if you and I are prepared like dialogue-wise, we can deal when things like that happen and things that happen in the moment that are honest and true. And 
within the confines of the intention of what the writer wants and what the director wants. That's the best for me. I mean, when you're, I always, I call it, you know, 80% preparation and about 20% spontaneity, you know, of things mm. that happen in the moment. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're working and if you have an instinct to do something uh, that you think might work a little thing that'll add a little bit of color um try it i mean the worst thing that they could say is you know take two or or they'll cut it out of the movie but like uh you got to be relaxed relaxation also another thing with with me being like always wanting to be prepared the more prepared i am the more relaxed i am um you know Years ago, when I was in, in college, I used to get very, very nervous, like, and I, my shoulders would lock up like this. And I think that was a part of, like, the battling of self-confidence. I'm out on stage, and my shoulders are locked like this. Am I good enough? Oh, God, am I a fraud? But right. when I started to, like, not care, or, you know, I used to call it a glorious air of indifference. You know, you just, you go out, and you do it. And if they like it, fine. If they don't, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I can I can only control what I, you know, what I bring, you know, in the into the scene or into the play or the movie or what have you. And it and it gave me an incredible relaxation because um, you know, you just you go out and you be as prepared and you don't I don't really think about you know, you just, I, I'm interacting with the other actor. I'm not thinking about the next line. I'm not thinking about uh, anything in my, you know, life or whatever. I mean, uh, you're just, you want to be honest in the moment. That That's that's the best kind. And listening. Listening is a lot of what really good acting is. I mean, you watch, one of my idols was Spencer Tracy. He was, I think, one of the greatest film actors ever. And I never saw Spencer Tracy or Gene Hackman give a bad performance because they were always fantastic listeners. You watch Jack Lemmon, another one, like, uh, you know, a great reactor. I mean, like, um, and that's what a lot of like listening and, and reacting, more behaving. I think the older I get, the more I do this, the more I think acting is more about how does this character or this person behave in a scene like you know that makes sense that's kind of the the thing you know that that i try to be about like how does this character behave you know you want and when you do that you want to create characters that are people like we see on the street every day um you know you want to play them honestly i mean and sometimes you know like people we meet every day sometimes people act unreasonably sometimes people act outrageously and i mean all you got to do is watch the news we see evidence of that on almost a daily basis now so i think it all i think it depends on the writing it depends on the character and the kind of direction that the director sees the film and the specific characters going in nice um, I wanted to touch on kind of like how actors and actresses become a vessel for a character. You know, you might you might write out or a director might have a particular person in mind, but once we have that cast set, 
um, that person becomes that character, you know, whether they become iconic or not, isn't up to them, but they are the driving force of what that character should be, what they should look like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and my question to you about that was how do you not let a character or multiple versions of different characters consume you as Tim? Well, that's a really important I think the easiest way to describe that there was is a story. Uh, Jack Lemon did a movie in the early seventies called Save the Tiger, and he played a middle aged man who uh, his business is is really uh, struggling, and he's thinking that he's going to have to commit a crime so he can get money to keep his business going. And right. and, um, and while all of this is going on, he's having flashbacks of uh, friends that died in uh, the Korean War. And mm -hmm. so and there's a scene in the movie where he's standing up in like a he works at like a runs a fashion uh, business and he's standing up and he's trying to make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to keep his business going. And he while in the audience, he starts seeing dead soldiers, his friends in the audience, and he starts breaking down. Well, Jack Lemon was telling the story of uh, he was driving to set one day. And he had to pull the car over because he started breaking down. And he said it was the first time that a character ever took over, which you never want because you always want to be in – the actor always needs to be in control of okay. the character. If you're doing a scene where you're supposed to play uh, – or if I'm rather doing a scene where I'm supposed to play an alcoholic or a drug addict or something like that – I've 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 gone out to bars plenty of times and like you know I I know what it's like to be closing a bar at three o'clock in the morning and you know you're you're slurring your words and things like that. You have what they would call a sense memory. You that where you you don't have to go out and actually get drunk to play the scene. I've worked with actors right. that have done that, and it's never good because if you're you know under those lights and working for 14 hour days and you're hammered, you're not going to make it through the day. So what right. you have to do, that's where you fall back on your training. If you're playing this scene, okay, well, you have, I, I often have to think, um, the character has to be in, uh, the actor has to be in control of movements. All right. Well, how is the character dressed? Like, you know, and all things like that. Most people, when they drink, what do they try to do? They try to always act as if they're sober. So they do everything mm -hmm. in their power to try to give the appearance of sobriety. It's the same thing kind of when you're, you know, if I'm an actor playing that part, it's it's an actor playing drunk, trying to play, think sober. So that, you know, and, uh, but it's hard to do, but but that's yeah. where your training falls in. That's That's where training good writing good director um and you know you also have this little voice i always have this little voice in my head where it sometimes it says too much tim too much you're pushing too much i think we have that kind of it's like having a a, a director or an editor in your head that like uh you do kind of kind of self-edit as you go because you don't want it to be over the top you don't want it to be uh you want it to be honest and true um and like you know whenever i play drunk scenes i always think okay well 
when I, I mean, there are times when you get very, very loud, but most of the time I get very soft like this. You know, you just, and, you know, there are things that you could do with your voice. There are things that you could do with your body. You don't have to, you know, go out and, you know, get drunk. I mean, uh, and, and do that. Uh, one, that's dangerous. It's the same yeah. thing. Like, uh, y- you got to take care of your body because your body is the instrument. But, like, when you play a character, you know, you have to – one of the things that I always do, I always look at how does the character dress. What are they – like, what do they wear? If I – you know, there was a movie I did years ago called Socks and Cakes where I played this kind of embittered, slightly alcoholic literature professor. And I – at the time, you know, I, I figured I'd put like a little bit of, you know, wipe my hair to for, to grade a little bit, glasses, like a little bit of stubble. Like I wanted this guy to be, give the appearance that he's doing okay, but to anyone who really know knew him, they would know this guy's, this guy's in a little bit of trouble. And like, and, and it's sometimes it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing like, uh, that's why props are always so important. It's why costumes are so important. Sometimes it could be as simple thing as a hat. Or Peter Falk said, get yourself a good jacket. If you get a good jacket, like, I mean, guy, you know, Columbo. I mean, like, uh, all of those kinds of things I love coming from the theater. All of those things add to creating the character. Props, like... Does he smoke? Does he wear glasses? Does he, uh, I, I work a lot with glasses. Like I have a whole box full of old pairs of glasses that I, I try to work into just about every project I, I do. Um, yeah. And, and, and there were times that like, sometimes I would write like a, a biography for the character. Um, I, I, I actually don't like to do that now. I kind of, because there are things you discover about the character while you're doing it, while you're in rehearsal. Um, mm. thing, you know, especially if you're doing a play. If you're doing a play, God, there are things I've been in, like you know, performances or like, like, oh God, that's what the character, that's who that character is. And it's like, you know, that's the beauty of doing the theater and working in the theater is that you're still discovering. Whereas film, you know. It does happen uh, as well, uh, and and it's fun. It, it it's it, it's investigative work. It's it's kind of like you know you got to put on your but you got to do the work. You got to do your homework. You can't. When I get cast in something, it 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 kind of becomes like you you become obsessed with the character because you wanna. You want to make it uh, honest. You want to make it different. You want to make it unique, especially if it's something that, you know, like if you're playing Hamlet, you want to play Hamlet. You want to make it your Hamlet. You don't want to make it Kevin Klein's Hamlet or Richard Burton's Hamlet or Judy Dench's Hamlet. You want to make it your Hamlet. And which is the beautiful thing about Shakespeare and about that specific part and that specific text is that Hamlet can be anything. He could be tall, he could be short, he could be fat, he could be a woman. Um I want I want more women playing that part. I mean, uh and I think now in in the time that we're in with um you know an understanding uh of about you know gender identity, 
I think now is the perfect time to do productions of, of Hamlet with a woman, woman playing the part or the Scottish play or Othello. I mean, uh, have at it. Uh, you know, and same thing with like productions of, of Anton Chekhov or Miss Julie or, you know, anything like that. So I think the possibilities are endless because with these characters and same thing in movies, you discover things about things that could that could scare you about you know oh wow i have a lot more in common with this character than i thought audience members think the same way so yeah that's my uh, my long-winded answer uh, on uh, my process for like you know building a character together and it changes like with every yeah. uh with every character if there's a character that that kind of scares me that's kind of fun because oh that's and then you know you start doing like you know research on like uh i did a movie about 10 years ago called simple mind where i played a a murderer and i i'm always fascinated by real crime documentaries and i watched something on ted bundy and all of these they're, they're like little things that like oh like you know when you're you're when you're playing that like things that he did like uh that audiences some of them may not notice but like you know you know they were they were fun kinds of things to play around with when you're when you're working because uh yeah you got to keep it interesting <laughs> yeah um even you know listening to my dad and my brothers talk about their favorite acting or even voice acting like they always care about the subtleties more than like the the overall performance. They're like, did you see when he inflected his voice here or made that joke like this? I thought that was hilarious. So you're you're right on the nose with everything. Um, can you touch on like what it takes for you to become a part of a film? I know probably when you were first starting out, it was more like, hey, I want to take on this role or to get it under my portfolio. But now you're definitely more self-aware and more distinguished. So how do you pick a role as Tim now versus Tim back when he was first acting? It, it's I still love the process of auditioning, but I tell you, there is nothing better when somebody contacts you and says, hey, th there's a role that I, I wrote with you in mind. That's the greatest compliment. And also, I always tend to get a little nervous because like, oh, I better not like that's that's an incredible responsibility pressure when someone yeah. reaches out to you and says, I want you to play this part. I know you can do it. It might be different than something that you've done before, but I know you can do it. When I get that, that's that's kind of like um, they used to, like Michael Jordan. You know, they used to talk about like uh, they they would say if somebody said Michael Jordan couldn't do anything, that would be like trigger the the trigger would go off and like mm -hmm. all right, bring it on. Like the right. more challenges, the better. And it's like, and God forbid, if you were guarding Michael and you made a comment then he would make you pay. But uh, yeah, I I, I I love that. It's uh, the challenges of that. And, uh, but no, I still love auditioning because auditioning, it, it, and there's a lot of really great, uh, Michael Keaton has a, has a great quote. And it's one that like, uh, I think I saw it like a year or two ago where he looks at an audition as not going in looking for a job. He's going to work. He's going to work. Mm -hmm. He said, all right, 
for this 90 seconds or two minutes, I'm going to go to work. If that's all I do today as an actor, that 90 seconds or that two minutes, I get to do what I love. And if, right. you, you know, you get the part, great. But I mean, uh, and if you don't, that's fine too. Because again, all you can do as the, as the actor or the artist is do your, is do your job, is do your best. Don't go in there like, oh God, I need a job. I need a job. We all need jobs. And I, a lot of casting directors and directors and producers I know would love to hire every actor that comes in the door. But there are so many factors that in many ways have nothing to do with your talent or lack of it or what have you. Just, um, And I've been on the other side of that table and I've seen amazing actors come in and it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, and if it's a husband and wife scene and it's a drama, that's like, well, she's five foot 11 and he's five, seven. And like, you know, I mean, well, can we put them on Apple boxes? And I said, well, we would need a lot of Apple boxes. I've had that happen to me a lot. That's crazy. I'm five, six. I'm five, six. And like, you know, I, I went in. Oh God, it's like 10, 12 years ago. I went into an audition for a drama of a husband and wife scene. And they're having like, uh, it was a scene from Harold Pinter's play Betrayal. And I look across at me and the actress, I swear, was six foot two. And I said, there's no way I'm going to get this mm -hmm. part. But I figured, you know, you, you do your best because the person sitting in the audience, you never know, not this job, but the next job. And the guy, and like a year or two after, the guy remembered me. And I said, you know, I'm sorry we paired you up with her. And I said, well, it felt like we set you up to fail. And I said, are you kidding? That was the most relaxed audition I'd ever been to. Because it's like, there's no way, you know, in a Harold Pinter drama, a six foot two, you know, female over a five foot six. I mean, if it were a comedy, definitely, but right. not in uh, that, so. But you keep going. I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, you you keep going. You keep um, evolving as an actor, I think, the more you do it. The, I mean, I, I look at this as I'm still a student. Every time I go to set or I go to whatever, I'm going to class. It's the best class. It's the best education, the education of just doing it. This the the movie that I just fi finished, which was a movie called Road to Mimosaville. The lead actor in the film was a freshman at Wright State, and I could tell he was a fantastic actor. But I could tell why he was a good actor because he was trained in the theater. He did his homework before he didn't he didn't wait until he got to set. He he thought about the character. He had ideas. He was. It was very physical and then you know at that time he was relaxed and i said this is a guy this is this guy's going to be a pro and you know you can tell that like that they they train and they take their training seriously and like they're there but there there's a loose there's a looseness about uh that was about him that um it was really a pleasure to watch and, and work with and it was like Good for you. Um, I wanted to piggyback off of what you were saying about finding the nuance and um, really diving deep into characters. Um, uh, as you probably know, they're doing a lot with 
artificial intelligence in general, uh, whether that's encoding people's voices or taking people's faces and putting them in movies and commercials and things of that nature. Um, what do you have to say about like us as humans trying to program robots to act better than us? Well, you know? I think that that whole thing has been the basis was one of the basis of the, the recent SAG after, right? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's an absolutely, uh, the idea that you and I could go into a movie and, you know, see a movie or a TV show or a play because, you know, if, if that it's not done by human actors, um, AI has a lot of great things going for it. Um, but an audience going in to see a play or a film cannot connect to an AI performance. They they need a flesh and blood, you know, human performance that they um, that they connect to. I mean, if you know, I mean, it's kind of like you know when when in the inception of of motion pictures, when people would go see you know, movies like uh, Charlie Chaplin or what have you, even when he was being incredibly funny, audiences connected to the pathos that he brought. It's the same thing when, you know, movies started, uh, uh, you know, the soundies started happening. You know, if people went and saw John Wayne, you know, they, you know, people connected to that wanting to be a tough guy or wanting to be Errol Flynn or wanting to be Betty Davis. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it really takes away the human connectivity element, that connecting element. One of the things that Brian Cranston, I, I, I miss, I, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but they're going to actually have to put into contracts now, side contracts that actors have to be played by human beings. It's extraordinary that they have to they have to do that, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't I think even with the strike being over, I don't think it's a discussion that is over with. But I don't know, I don't know an actor that uh, is is on board with with that idea. I think it's a good idea if you're just trying to make the best movie the fastest you can. Um, but you do got to factor in that there's a lot of lot of freaking jobs that are being taken away by what's going on. And people don't want to admit that, yes, that there's a lot of help, but there's also a lot of greed that comes with that um, and a lot of animosity that's going to come with actors or budding actors and even independent filmmaking or, um, entities. Um, just because it's simply easier to use or encode somebody's voice and make it look or sound something completely different. Um, but I, I agree with you. There should be a fair amount of usage for humans and what we've been able to do and cultivate over the last however many thousands of years with even theater and film now. Um, I just thought it was interesting to hear that from you, from somebody who's acting, because a lot of production companies will act like um in ai is just as good or even better at acting than a human can be and that's just not the case like it, it really isn't i mean can an ai do what paul giamatti is doing in the holdovers Prop no 
Uh, can an AI, you know, do what James Cagney and Catherine Hepburn and all of them were able to? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's. It, I think it's a it's a form of laziness. Like people don't want to. Mm you know, they just figure, well, we're just going to cut the human element out of it. And we're just going to put it all on a computer, but computer doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have blood pumping in their veins. I mean, you know, um, and the thing about, you know, we know anything about, you know, computers and all of that, uh, you know, they're not perfect. Um, I mean, let's say, for example, if, if, if we get to a time where we go to live theater, we go to see a play, we go to see a production of Hamlet, and they just have a bunch of screens on stage and just artificial performances, who's going to pay $125 or $200 or whatever you know it costs to go to the theater these days to watch that? Or same thing Nobody. with movies. I mean, people are having problems getting people to go to the movies as it is. Um, and so I, I think, um, and a lot of the discussions that I have had with people, it, it's, it's a no brainer. Like actors have to be human actors have to be, because if, if I'm going to, if I'm watching a movie, uh, and it's just, uh, I can't connect to that and it's kind of, and you just like turn it off, go on to the next, like, you know, see what else. I mean, right. uh, uh, yeah. I just it was it was it, it was interesting, like seeing that that was such a, a huge part of uh, the strike and the fact that I mean, I, I mean, I know, I mean, Brian Cox. I mean, was was just dumbfounded by the idea, and I am I, I am as well that yeah. people are even considering, uh, you know, AI for film and for TV and all of that. It it has a lot of benefits on the visual effects side of things. Like, well, let's say you're working with the the students from Wright State, um, and they want to make a sci-fi film, but just simply don't have the budget to acquire those resources. They can use something or some sort of software to be able to make some fraction of a sci-fi movie, and that's great. Um, but they're not completely abandoning the human actor or actress, which is what you're getting at, and uh, which is what i'm saying as well well and the thing is if they if if in using that example if they do or if it's you know hollywood if they did do that and they used an AF, ai of an actor then what what's the question of like you know compensating them for that you know if uh i mean that's a big thing too it's like you know if uh there's discussion if like of a if an actor did a, a live action performance and a producer wanted to take their image without, you know, they've already paid the actor for this one thing, take their image, put it in an AI in another film. Well, the other actor would be, you know, it, it would be appropriate that they be compensated for that, but right. probably the best thing it's like, you know, just have, have an actor do it. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, and between that and then I, I know that the discussion of like, you know, writers not getting paid enough, you have to pay the writers. If the, we, we don't have 
I hate the word content. I'm, I, but like, we do not have movies and TV shows and, and theater and commercials and all of that without the writers. You give them, I mean, I guarantee you, any actor who's making $25 million a movie would gladly give a percentage of their the money that they make to ensure that the writer, you know, because without a script, you don't have, you don't have anything. You don't have a movie. You don't have any, all the special effects in the world are not going to save your movie. If you don't have a good script. Right. Um, how do you feel about, you know, even using chat GPT and AI to write scripts? Um, people are using it as a thinking partner, but I want to hear your opinion about movies specifically. Yeah. I'm not really like, uh, I, I think, you could use it as a guide, I think, right. but you know, if um, I, I think you can't, you have to go back and do it the old fashioned way. I think if you have that as like maybe a starting spot and then you go back and you edit and you go in, but I mean, scripts, I mean, like, I mean, Neil Simon, when he wrote his plays, he would still write his plays on legal pads. I mean, that's like, uh, when I think of a writer, like a playwright or a screenwriter, that's that's what I think of. Or like, you know, you're you're in a room with a typewriter or if you're writing them down. I mean, like, uh, again, I think, you know, computers and all of that, they have their place. But again, the writing process is so personal as someone who has written scripts, stories. It's so personal that you want it, it it's got to come it, it always comes from it's got to come from inside the heart that's where where you know blood's pumping and uh right. yeah i don't know if like all of these these things are are being suggested or wanting to be put in place because they think they're going to save money ai i it, it's not it would not be cheap i mean you know it, it's it's yeah. kind of like you know when all of the the de-aging process and all of that that cost when that first came out, uh, it cost an incredible amount of money, and that and it's ballooning budgets. And AI, I would imagine, would be similar to that. I'm not real sure on like cost and all of that kind yeah. of thing, but uh, I would so imagine it would be expensive. It's it's expensive to a certain degree as far as like computational power. If if that's um if that's making sense, as far as like how to use it and how expensive it can get. It simply depends on if you want to make a free account with some of these softwares or not. Um, yeah. Which is the, which is the great part, but it's the scary part because let's say a Disney or even like a monkey paw productions or something like that. Hey, um, it's just a lot easier for us to take, you know, pictures or frames of certain movies and put it into an AI and generate a completely new scene from it. Um Ooh. From a business standpoint, that makes all the sense in the world. But from a connectivity, emotional, you know, person to person, human standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Um, you're completely cutting out the process of why people get into film, get into acting in the first place, which is to connect, <laughs> like whether that's with well, themselves that's, or with anyone right else. There, the process, yeah. the process. Mm -hmm. That's that's why, you know, of of the making, the making. It's it's something that you made. Um, you know, you know, yeah, it, it's uh, and the process, it's 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 part of the fun. It's part of the magic. It's part of why we do it. I mean, uh, 
like my thing is now like I, I love as, as much as I've, I'm very proud of the finished product of work that I've done, the doing of it. That's the thing. It's like, you know, it cuts out like being on the set. Like, you know, if I watch a certain scene from a movie, I remember, oh, God, we did that at two o'clock in the morning. And I remember and so-and-so was really, really funny. Or I remember this uh, this hairstylist was not in a good mood and one of the other actors did something to make him. Like those kinds of things. Like you remember like the day or the days, the making of it, like the process. That uh, and I think if you cut that out, I think that's an integral part of the artistic process because the process is where the creativity comes. Right. I think. Right. That's a great answer. Um, one thing that I've been particularly looking at for you know my production company and films that I want to make in the future is, um, making everything decentralized. And when I say that, meaning like verifying whether that's donations payments for the movie or for even specific actors and actresses on the blockchain um are you familiar with anything cryptocurrency related or blockchain related i'm not no it's, it's something that i'm yeah i'm just not uh familiar with no. yeah no that's okay um so pretty much if you've heard of bitcoin i'm pretty sure you have like what makes this stuff so intriguing to me is the fact that I can receive a payment from Aaron Rodgers over a piece of software that's making the transaction. Now that sounds pretty simple, but when you're putting it something through like a Bitcoin, you're now kind of gamifying and decentralizing how transactions are made, how commerce is done. And I think a lot of that can be done in the film industry and break down a lot of payment barriers that SAG after was striking for. Um, mm -hmm. So put it this way, like, let's say we make a movie, it takes $5,000 to make. That's what it took to pay everybody and to shoot it, put it out. Now, instead of, you know, now going through the regular typical film funding process of like, hey, let's get this or let's sell this movie to distribute or even possibly get remade. Now we can sell this movie directly to the consumer by putting it on our own website, putting it on IEA blockchain that verifies every purchase that way people get a cut actors actresses even staff members get a cut of what's made from that transaction so it's 70 let's say it's 70 dollars on a transaction you would get maybe five people taking a two three percent cut of that now do 70 dollar payments times thousand two thousand three thousand however many people buy the movie now you're mm -hmm. talking bringing the power back to the people and the artists who made you connect with the movie in the first place um, is that ringing a bell making sense at all? It is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that like, you know, producers and business managers and all of that, like uh, that's something that I don't have any uh, experience with, but uh, it's, it, it'd be interesting. I mean, things are always changing in, in this industry. I mean, uh, you know, when, when digital, the way movies are made, like we went away from digital and, away from traditional film um it changed and of course now we're in the discussion of how people watch movies uh you know people uh filmmakers who do not want people watching their films on their phones or ipads like they want to have the you know making movies that for big screens and uh 
And I get that and I appreciate it. And uh, I, I think, you know, if you have a family of four, you know, and, uh, you know, there's, there's all, oh, there's so many, so many considerations of why, you know, if people prefer to watch a movie in their home or on their phone or what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, it's interesting what you say. I mean, like, uh, my thing is, I, I would be curious to see, you know, how unions would react to that, uh, you know, because I, I, I don't know if that's something that would happen overnight. I mean, that's something that would just be a lot of a lot of discussion because right. uh, producers and the unions and business managers and agents and all of that um, are going to have different opinions and perspectives on how that may or may not uh, benefit them, you know, so, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I I can't wait to see how it, how it develops over the rest of the decade. Um, Cause AI and everything, it's completely changed how people are looking at film. So it's going to trickle down into the payment wall eventually. Mm -hmm. um, good answer, man. What I wanted to talk about next was what what's getting Tim excited for 2024 and beyond. I know you just finished a project, um, Road to Mimosaville, uh, you said it was. Yeah. You talked to us mm -hmm. about some of those projects you've been involved in, what you've been writing, what you've been acting in. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, in the end of, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, I... Uh... I started hooking up with an actor, with a director, writer, and a uh, producer named Thomas Angeletti. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he, he you, because you know Theo, Theo White, right? Yep. Went to high school yeah. with him. Yeah. So uh, Tom's worked with Theo, and I'm actually writing a, a script for Theo and I to uh, act in. Uh, I swear to God, Theo, I'm working on it. <laughs> that, uh, it was originally going to be a, a short that I think is now morphing into a, uh, a feature. And it's, uh, it's a script called a, uh, a ravenous beast, which is, um, which was, uh, it's a line of, it's what uh, I think Pope Francis said when asked about what he thought of uh, priests who committed uh, uh, inappropriate acts against uh, children, in the Catholic church. Yeah. And uh the film is going to be set in this small fictional town in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And uh, Theo is going to play a, uh, a reporter who, you know, he's looking for a good story, who finds out that, who learns that in this small town where everybody kind of knows everyone, everyone's very close-knit, that they find out that one of their own, uh, a local priest, um has been uh, arrested for uh inappropriate um you know touching of uh of, of minors and right. uh and that uh the priest wants to have a conversation with Theo's character to tell his side of the story and it, it's kind of like uh it, it's kind of one of those scripts that it's, it's one of those things that could tear a small town like this apart because mm -hmm. this priest character is someone that, you know, he's been invited into, you know, homes and into their lives, you know, not only religiously, but personally. And so it, it's kind of a, a crisis for, for all of the characters. And I, and I like that. I like that, 
And so uh, I'm working on that. And then um, Tom and I, uh, and I think Tom's going to be a part of that. Uh, but Tom and I first worked on a, a script that I wrote called After, which was a two-character uh, piece about a, uh, a police detective uh, whose son, uh, who also a police officer, is killed in the line of duty. And the film takes place uh, on the day of his son's funeral after his son's been buried. And he comes to his home and he's with his daughter, played by a wonderful actress named Beth Metcalf. And the mother is deceased uh, a few years before. And the father and the daughter, they have a, they're distant towards one another. The, the thing that I had said is that the father, he was very close to the son. And he was one of those fathers that came from that generation of, he doesn't know what to do with uh, a girl. And so he encounters this information, uh, some information that has uh, information about the person who may have killed his son. And it's right. this kind of, uh, it's kind of a, um, it's like a confessional, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. he uh, he's trying, he has this battle with himself if whether or not he is going to go and kill this person himself. And so it's, it, it was heavy material, but it was surprising. It was fun to do because again, it, you know, it's, it's a part that I wrote it, but it, when I wrote it and we, when Tom gave the go ahead and said, let's make it, I was like, Oh God, like, what have I gotten into now? Like I wrote it now I got to play it. And, uh, it, uh, it was a wonderful challenge. And, uh, and I loved working with, with Tom, who's a fantastic director and the crew that he has, he's got Maya Ahmed, who is a wonderful, probably one of the best assistant directors, uh, that I've ever worked with. And he's got, uh, Robert Morris and Alex Johnson who are, wonderful sound people and incredible actors as well. And we collaborated again on another piece uh, called Hard Truths, which uh, is kind of, um, it's about, takes a look at the modeling industry and how models are, you know, how models are treated. I play a uh, an agent who uh, he's trying to book his client with a, a major clothing brand, but the clothing brand has come back and said, we'll work with her, but she needs to make drastic changes, which he knows what those means. Like they want her to, you know, lose weight and you know, do this and do that. And so he has to go in and tell this model, they want you, but you need to do abc and he knows that she's not going to react well to it and uh and so it's kind of this battle you know internal battle because he knows that he has to he's he it, it's fear he loves this person uh played wonderfully by uh tom's girlfriend Paige hoover who herself is a model and a lot of the uh, experiences, things that her character uh, Hope talks about are things that she's actually experienced as a model. So it's very much kind of um, autobiographical, which uh, yeah. I, I was very happy to 
I mean, it, it had to have been, I admire Paige for sharing that uh, information because uh, I just saw a cut of the film uh, yesterday and uh, it should be coming out real soon and it's going to be really fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's a, and, and Maya Ahmed uh, directed that and Tom was behind the camera on that one. Uh, and then, yeah, in, in 2024, we have this wonderful horror film coming out called Friends Forever, which is a just a wonderful homage to 80s slasher films, like all of like, you know, uh, you know, teens go to an abandoned house uh, that uh, they don't they find out very quick is uh, probably <laughs> should have gone somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it is just blood and guts and and I, and I had never done a slasher film and it was fun messy incredibly messy but but fun so uh that's going to be coming out uh very very soon and uh and then I'll be reuniting with uh you know of course ravenous beast that's going to be I would say that's a year maybe a little more away uh just because we want to we want to do it right we want to raise money and uh you know pay the crew and pay the uh Pay the actors and um and then we have two other short films uh one film called sundays with dad whereas uh i work with an amazing actor named george hildebrand who he plays my father and he's a widower who uh he decides you know he's he's lonely his his, his wife mine recently passed away and he decides that he wants to hire uh an escort not for sexual favors but for uh companionship and so uh it's it's very funny i hope and uh, it's going to be heartwarming and george and i have already been uh rehearsing and uh, we're hoping to do that uh this spring and then and then lastly there's another uh script called hall of famer uh, which stars uh uh, oh God, I just blanked on her name. Julie Carney. Oh my God, sorry, Julie. And uh, no, amazing Julie Carney. She plays an actress, uh, a former actress, uh, who's kind of you know in the middle of nowhere, and she's informed by her attorney that uh, she is uh, about to be inducted into the Adult Film Hall of Fame because it turned out that twenty odd years before, uh, she had worked in the adult film industry, and so you know and all of the kind of the humor that that comes from that you know just uh and i play her husband her very supportive husband that'll be we just had a reading for that a few weeks ago and then the uh and the cast is really solid and and tom is uh tom's going to direct both of those films and we hope to do those definitely sometime in 2024 so a lot going on and uh and i'm i'm very happy to be able to to say that uh, we're going to be busy. Good man. What's um, what's some advice that you would give to anybody who's stemming into acting, who's trying to get established, kind of like yourself, um, and who wants to continue to connect with the audience? I know you were talking about how people in theater connect kind of a little more than film, uh, but for whoever's trying to act in theater or film in general, what advice do you have for them, or encouragement, discouragement even? Yeah, just for like, you know, getting started. Well, one, the one thing I always ask anyone who wants to be an actor, I said, do you want to be an actor or do you want to be a movie star? Because mm. when you're an actor, you have to know that it's a journey. 
I mean, they're they're every actor, you know, every actor's story is different. Um, you have to, you can't half-ass it. Right. And there are some people that say, well, I'll give myself five years, 10 years. That's crap. I, there's an old saying, and there was a, my teacher, Stanley Harrison, who said, it takes 20 years for someone to discover, to learn about being an actor. Like, uh, because uh. in that time, you learn about yourself. Now, some people get lucky and they learn as they go, which is what we all do, um, as far as like having successes and all of that. But, you know, any advice that I would have is have strong people in your corner, have the right people in your corner, have good family, have friends, real friends that are going to, you know, tell you when you're acting like an ass, uh, you know, you know, and just um, be good with, uh, take a business course, take a business course, learn about like contracts, how money, um, you know, all of that. I mean, because, uh, uh, you know, you see in the news, actors and artists traditionally are not good with money. <laughs> you know, they're going out and buying cars and you have to, you have to prepare for a career. And how do you prepare? You know, you have to think about, you know, if you start doing this in your 20s, you have to prepare. What is it going to be like when I'm doing this when I'm 40 or 50 or 60? Or am I still going to be doing Do I want to still be doing this? And if the answer is yes, you got to be, you got to strap in and be ready for, you know, peaks and valleys that's right. what an actor's life is it's peaks and valleys um you know you're gonna have you're gonna have hits you're gonna have misses but my mentality is is that the next door is always around the corner and behind that door you don't know what's there um say yes if you can say yes at all i mean uh for anyone starting out, if there's a community theater in your area, get involved. Run lights, do the box office, uh, build sets, play, you know, the small part, work your way up, learn how, you know, actors work. If you have friends that are filmmakers or want to be filmmakers, um, get a camera together and start making movies. It might stink, but the more you do it, You'll learn about this. It was the I think it was the, the Duplass brothers. The more you do it, eventually you'll suck less. And like uh, <laughs> and that's like you know, but that's doing it. It's it's like if you want to be, I I just watched a documentary about Larry Bird, who he would be out in Indiana. He would be up at six or seven o'clock every morning, just standing out at his basketball court for two hours, practicing three throws practicing layups practicing uh you know taking care of his instrument which was you know because and the thing that he always loved which i one of the things about the documentary was that people always underestimated him that's like when you, if you're an actor and you know if, if people underestimate you if you walk into an audition people say well well this guy doesn't look like an actor or this guy doesn't look like much. And then you get to show them what you're made of. 
that's the best because that's the ultimate underdog story right there. I love being the underdog. And I, and you know, I've had people that have kind of uh, done that to me. I mean, uh, sometimes you notice it, sometimes you don't. And, but it's kind of cool when you do notice it and then when you prove them wrong, because it's kind of like, you know, like never judge a book, you know, like by its cover. Right. Like you got, you got to work. You got to put the work in. You can't, uh, like I said before, you know, if, if you show up on set and you're not prepared, people are going to know. And I mean, and movies, you know, depending on the kind of movie or scene that you're doing, you know, it could be a long day. And if you don't know your job, it could be even longer. And it's, you know, as far as, uh, you know, and memorizing, learn, learn a way to do it. Learn, like ha have a method, have a, you know, whether some people write lines down on index cards, some people, you know, use recordings. I mean, like when I get a script, uh, if it's a play script, I break it into sections and memorize that uh, a section at a time, 45 minutes to an hour a day. Now, if you're in a situation where if you're getting a, uh, if I have an audition tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning and I get sides for something uh, six or seven or 12 pages uh, at seven o'clock, you're going to be you're going to be doing a line cram. And uh, and it's fun. It's scary. It's exciting. But like, you know, if you go in and you have it in a way, you've already won because if and I've seen I've said producers, producers have told me, I said, the fact that if they did that tells me that they're hungry. You got to mm -hmm. be hungry. You got to be hungry. You got to be, uh, and don't look at, if you don't book a job, don't look at it as a failure. It's, 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 failure is, it's part of our trade. And it's not even failure. It's, I don't know what word it is, but it's, uh, you're, you're going to hear no. You're going to have doors right. slammed in your face. You're going to encounter people that don't want to cast you because you're not their idea of what an actor should be or what, you know, uh, you just, you keep going, you keep going and, you know, and eventually, I mean, I'm, I'm 47. I started doing this when I was 14. I don't have all the answers, but I'm enjoying the journey. I, it, it's still fun. That's the thing is make, keep it fun. Keep it light. You're, you'll be much easier to work with if you keep it light and you keep it fun. Because if you're, and I work with actors who they come on and they're, and it, and it affects their work. Mm. I was in Rhode Island a couple of years ago and there was an actor and he came on and he was, the character in the movie was supposed to be a, a guy going through some stuff and he, came in and he was banging his head against the wall and he was really trying to get to that place where he needed to be. And I respected that. But when the time came to roll the cameras, he had got himself so um, amped up that he, he, he forgot, like he forgot, like he was blowing lines in the seats and the director just came up and said, said, relax. It's only a movie. Relax. It's only a movie. And it's, it's like a little thing. It's like, you know, like we go out there sometimes and it's, we think it's life or death if we don't get it. And you now like, it's only a movie. 
like uh, you know, or it's only a take. You get to do it again. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there. Uh, you got to have fun with it, even if you're playing. Sissy Spacek told a great story about Jack Lemmon. She said when they were doing the movie Missing, which was a really heavy drama. She said Jack Lemmon is the only person that could be telling you a really funny story. They would call action, go in and give this amazing dramatic performance. They'd say cut, then go back to telling the funny story. Like, <laughs> there's, that's, like there's a looseness, and that's why yeah. I think that's why he, he. If if there's my if there's my favorite actor, it's Jack Lemmon because he he made it look easy, but he would have been the first to tell you that it wasn't. It it takes years it takes good directors it takes great actors um i'm a firm believer in my performance comes from the other actor if you and i are doing a scene i want both of us to be you know if, to be good i want i want both of us to be great because it's like if i if i go on into the scene and i'm like Okay, well, this guy's, he's not good. I'm just going to steal the scene from him. That's exactly the wrong kind of attitude to have because it, it just, it's just the wrong attitude to have because you have, you have to be, you have to be giving, you have to be giving, it's give and take because, you know, you need that other actor. You need the cinematographer. You need the, uh, the sound person. You need all of those people. Again, comes back to, ensemble ensemble and just uh yeah and just and love what you do love it and know that you know yeah again you're going to have hits and misses but the positives always outweigh the negatives and you learn you learn from all of these things everything that i've done is there's a lesson that i've learned uh from it right. and that's that's a great thing to walk away with Good man, where where can the people find you? We got about a minute till this uh, till this um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm video on, runs uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on the Facebook. Uh, Timothy J. Cox. Uh, you know, and uh, IMDb. That's I think I I more or less use that as my website uh, these days. It's pretty much the most updated information. But yeah, no, I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook, not Twitter or X or whatever. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Like uh x twitter or triple twitter i don't know but like uh but no definitely instagram uh under uh timothy j cox uh for both instagram and facebook good man tim i appreciate it always i wish we had more time you're always welcome on and uh we will get more time soon soon i appreciate you man sounds good my man and i appreciate you thanks so much yeah yeah i'll talk to you soon i'll dm you here really soon have a good night my friend